If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. For each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to become circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Back in the day, I used to work as a radiographer. And um, warning, I've got two sort of x-ray illustrations in this talk. Um, they're not too gruesome. But um, it, when you're taking an x-ray, it's very important, especially for extremities, to provide the right perspective, to the right point of view on that particular body part. So, for example, I, I remember x-raying a man. He'd been riding his motorbike down a country road and collided with a kangaroo. Now, both he went on his merry way and the kangaroo went on his merry way and he didn't think anything of it. Oh, that was a, a near miss. Well, a hit, but it wasn't too bad. But the next day, his knee was all hot and swollen, so he came for an x-ray and I x-rayed him. From the front, it looked perfectly normal, just like a normal knee. But then I, I did it from another perspective, from the side, and we saw this. I don't know if you can see that. So that at the top, that sort of top of actually patelli kneecap, that's supposed to be there. There's another bit of bone underneath that. That's a kangaroo's tooth. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck in that man's knee. <laughs> Which you couldn't see from, you could only see on one perspective. You need to have the right perspective. So today we're going to see that Last week we were talking about walking in the Spirit, by the Spirit, that, that that gives us the right perspective we're going to look at today. The right way of looking at each other here in church, of looking at ourselves, of a right perspective on our gospel teachers, and the right perspective on life now and in the future. Uh, so just to get us back up to speed, um, if, if, it's your, if you're visiting with us, um, Paul's writing to this church in Galatia, this church plant. 
bit like us, um, where people have become Christians, but now they're starting to believe Dodgy teaching that they must also follow certain Jewish laws and customs, particularly being circumcised. And Paul has condemned all that as no gospel at all. Because if you try and add anything to the gospel, if you try and add anything, add anything to trusting in Jesus for your salvation, that way you're taking away. You're saying that gr Jesus' grace to us and his work on the cross to pay for your sins is, is not enough or not needed. And walk, we saw last week, walking by the Spirit means engaging in a lifelong war, a struggle against the old self that you have crucified and the new you living in by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit means sticking to that original gospel of trusting in Jesus, strengthened by the Spirit, and not going off looking for some other fuel or some other way to keep you going, to keep you topped up for salvation. We're freed from following a bunch of rules to be saved, but we're to use that freedom in a way that lines up with who we've been saved by and who we've been saved for. Jesus served us humbly in love, and so we are to serve one another humbly in love. And so today what we're going to look at is what that looks like in life together as a church. Okay? So uh, there's an outline in your leaflets there. Hopefully you can follow that. Um, first of all, expectations. Just a little thing on this. So kind of picking up where we ended last week. Last week we saw that we need to get our expectations right. That the normal Christian life is to expect struggle and trouble. Um, we need to have the right expectations so we're not tempted to go off on a tangent tasting some different gospel that promises an easier life. And remember, God, we saw God's spirit in us means that we are at peace with God, but at war with ourselves. And it's a war that's already won by God, but it will be a struggle till the day we die or Jesus returns. Now, to back up that claim, there's more that backs that up in uh, today's passage. So verse 1 addresses the situation of a Christian being caught in sin. So we can expect that life together as church will be messy because sometimes in this war against sin, the flesh and the devil, sometimes in that war, will lose some battles. And then verse 2 is about carrying one another's burdens. So the Christian life is joyful, but sometimes can feel really heavy, can sometimes feel too hard to do on our own. And then verse 9, the appeal is, let us not become weary in doing good. So what's the implication of that? Sometimes you're going to get weary, feel weary of doing good. Spirit-filled, Thoroughly converted Christians will find doing good wearisome at times. Now, I say all that again because I think our biggest danger of smuggling in extra requirements to the gospel, a sort of Christianity plus, our biggest risk is that our experience will be to go through struggles, to sometimes behave in ungodly ways, and to sometimes get fed up of doing good. 
And I think the risk to us is that out there, there is no end of songs and internet articles and internet preaching that will keep giving you the message that if you are struggling, you've kind of missed something, you've not got the gospel quite right. And that's just rubbish. Okay. Okay, rant over. Let's get into it. So first, free to be burdened, looking at verses 1 to 6. Free, we are free to be burdened. So in this section, um, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, it shows us that walking in the Spirit means having the right perspective on each other, on ourselves and on our gospel teachers. Each other, ourselves, and gospel teachers. So first of all, each other. First one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So the reality is that genuinely converted, Spirit-filled Christians are going to sin. And we, Trinity Church Woodcroft, we need to be able to cope with that. And notice that it says, you who live by the Spirit. Uh, and it's another way of saying anyone who is a Christian. So this is the job of everyone who's a regular here. It's not just my job or the leadership team. Now, in the bigger biblical picture, there is some sort of church discipline stuff that is for the pastor and the elders. And that it's a sort of category like that. But the day-to-day -day stuff of helping one another bounce back from sin and avoid sin in the first place that's a job for all of us to help one another with. And the aim is not to judge or to condemn where sin occurs, but gentle restoration. It's a bit like, so this is my final uh, radiology illustration. It's a bit like resetting a broken bone so that it heals and grows. This is um, Miv's wrist three years ago. She fell off the climbing frame. And you set it, don't you? So that it grows back in the right shape. Into, right, into full health and function. And sin, like a broken bone, pretending, if you just pretend everything is okay and try and sweep it under the carpet, or if you behave like it's acceptable, it's okay, sin is okay, well, that's no help at all. And in the end, is more cruel and less loving than dealing with the problem. So sin is expected, but it's not okay. And we need to be careful in the midst of dealing with it, with helping one another, we're not dragged into it as well. Uh, the next right perspective about ourselves that walking in the Spirit gives us is verse 2, that we need to help, need each other's help. We need each other's help. So verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, Paul might here be having a dig at the false teachers who are loading up and burdening the Galatians with the extra burdens of expectation of keeping the law. And the irony is that the real way to fulfill the law is to take burdens off one another, to lighten one another's load. Again, the expectation is that walking by the Spirit is not easy. Uh, we're not supposed to do it alone. Uh, the word burden here, it's got a sense of pressing down on someone. We've got to care for one another enough 
to be able to lighten one another's load. We need to know and understand uh, each other. We need to gain each other's trust so that we can be of real, practical help to one another. And do you know what that means? That means we're going to have to become friends with one another. Uh, human friendship, and I'm sorry, but break that to you, but we have to be friends. Uh, human friendship is one of the one of ways, uh, is one of God's purposes for his people. It's, it's one of the ways he ministers to us. And that's why I'm so encouraged by how long everyone here stays around for morning tea after the service. But I'm really encouraged by how many of you are in growth groups together. Because it means that you're getting to know each other. So please keep doing that. Please keep making it your aim to get yourself into the position with one another where you can offer help to, to one another and receive help from one another. Walking in the Spirit means caring for others. And here's the harder bit, I think. Walking in the Spirit means being humble enough to let others carry your burdens. So an example of this is, um, uh, so Sharon, my Sharon, as health wise she's been struggling a bit. And Claire here, I'm going to put her on the spot. Claire offered to come and help with a few jobs around our house. Now, our social norms say, now hang on, Claire's retired, you know, she's ancient. So we, it should be, the, other way. It should be the, the other way around. We should be... We should be going there to help offering Claire help, shouldn't we? But actually, swallowing our pride, we realize that, yes, it, that would be a helpful thing for Claire to do for us. And that actually, we serve one another by giving one another opportunities to help. Another example, Sharon and I have just been on a... a conference called Refresh, a marriage conference, aimed at helping married couples who have planted a church to take time out to work on their marriage. Apparently the staff at the venue were overheard saying, oh, this is a conference for pastors whose marriages are falling apart. That's not what it was. That's not what it was. It was, it was more preemptive is to get in there before that happens. You know? And I'll admit part of me was like, well, there's nothing wrong with my marriage. I don't, I don't need to go to a marriage conference. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good husband sort of thing. But more experienced, more mature leaders have recognized that planting a church is a burden on marriages and church planters need help carrying that burden. So we accepted the help and I'm very glad we did. We need the right perspective on each other. And we need the right perspective on ourselves. Verse 3. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. You see, the trouble with the do-it-yourself approach to salvation is that you end up either puffed up or crushed. So if you think you are doing well at keeping enough rules or outweighing the good with the bad, sorry, the bad with the good, then you become puffed up and proud and pretty pleased with yourself. But if you think you're failing to meet that standard, you feel crushed and deflated. And the law shows us that none of us, none of us are capable of saving ourselves. And if we think we are good enough, that we don't need saving, if we think we can do it all ourselves, 
without help carrying our burdens, we've missed something and we'll eventually realize it. Um, and Sorry, when we eventually realize it, we're going to feel like Mr. Bean in this clip. So the scenario is Mr. Bean is sitting in an exam. So just look how he, look how he feels in this. You may open the envelopes containing your papers. The exam starts now. minutes ladies and gentlemen at the end with those who answer the green calculus papers please put them in the green box and those who answer the white trigonometry papers please put them in the white box good old mr bean eh? See, Mr. Bean went into the exam thinking he'd cruise it, only to realize he never had what it takes. Uh, knowing we need God's grace, having that right perspective on ourselves will help us keep humble enough to accept help. And it will help us keep relying on God, trusting in him, and not turning to other gospels. Uh, looking at verses 4 and 5, these are basically saying that our attitude to ourself should, be based on, should not be based on comparing ourselves to one another. That's the headline. So verse 5 can be confusing. It says, each one should carry their own load. Now, is that contradicting verse 2? No. Uh, so the different words, load is not the same word as burden. Load has got more of, the, more of the idea of just sort of your day pack that you might have on a bike or, you know, your handbag. And it's the idea, um, what it's talking about is the load that each of us will have to carry before God. So not in terms of whether we're saved or not. Um, we're safely hidden in Christ for that, so our salvation is sure. But the Bible does still have a sense that even if we're saved for eternity, a sense of being before God and giving account of ourself. And God won't be asking how you did compared to everyone else. The appraisal will be just between you and God. So that I wasn't as bad as everyone else won't be an excuse that flies. So don't compare yourselves to others. We need the right perspective on, on the, each other, on ourselves, and on our gospel preachers. So verse 6 sticks out a bit, doesn't it? Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now, is it a bit random? Has Paul just been checking his wallet and thought, oh, I better get some support rustled up sort of thing? Well, no, I think Paul says this here. Because if we don't invest in reliable Bible teachers who stick to the original gospel, we'll end up with false teachers giving us the wrong perspective. See, through the teaching of the gospel, we get a right appraisal of ourselves and of others. 
And the Galatians have got all the problems they're going through because, wrong te- because of wrong teaching of other Gospels. Now, in this church and the other Trinity churches, this, the application of this is kind of taking care, to care of for you. So the Trinity Network has a deliberate strategy of, of paying our pastors um, a wage about the same as a school teacher so that we're not having to worry about singing for our supper. So we can pour ourselves into doing the hard yards of studying the Bible carefully to just tunnel through all the other noise and ideas that we get exposed to to bring you the original gospel and how to apply it week in and week out. So I don't have to worry about supplementing my income. I don't have to worry about watering down the gospel and just telling you what you want to hear so that I get paid. Our network invests in gospel preaching. So having these right perspectives on each other, ourselves and our gospel teachers, will help us to keep enduring, keep growing in the fruit of the Spirit, and not going off track. And last week, the imagery we thought about this um, was in terms of being led by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. Now Paul helps us to think about what we do with our freedom in Christ in another way, reaping and sowing. Reaping and sowing. That's our next heading, looking at verses 7 to 10. Are increasingly producing the fruit of the Spirit, so growing to be more like Jesus, isn't all down to us, of course. The Spirit does his thing in us as we trust and rely on him. But Paul is clear here and elsewhere that we do have something to do with it. How we choose to behave directly influences which direction we go in towards the flesh and corruption or towards eternal life in the spirit in keeping with that eternal life that's assured. And it's a really simple concept to help us grow in in holiness because we all get the idea, don't we, that if you plant seed in a particular field... Um, that's where the seed will grow. And if you water and fertilize that field with those seeds, they'll thrive more, usually. Or we we get the idea, uh, non-farming, that if you invest time or energy into something, on the whole, you get more results. And in everything we do in life, we can think of it as either investing in our flesh, so that's in our old sinful self, who sticks around like a bad smell, um, still demanding that we serve ourselves and save ourselves, or sowing to the spirit, to our new, regenerated, born-again self in Christ with the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't retreating back into the idea of doing enough good sowing versus enough bad sowing, getting the balance right to be saved. But there is a cause and effect If you invest in the wrong one, you get wrong results. Corruption. So what is sowing to the flesh? Well, it looks like allowing ourselves that thought, that indulgence. um, Allowing ourselves to indulge in that thing we know is wrong. Or act on that gut reaction that we know is wrong. It's sowing to the flesh is harboring a grudge. It's uh, entertaining a fantasy. 
wallowing in self-pity. So into the flesh is hanging out with bad company that we know will lead us into sin. It's giving ourselves permission to look at imagery that we know will make us lust. It's making excuses to not read the Bible or pray. And it's often not big ticket stuff. It's often lots of little digs. But lots of little digs make a hole. So into the spirit, it's the same as walking by the spirit. It's joining in with his steps where he's heading. So setting our minds on things of God. Spending time with God's people. Reading his word and praying. And setting our minds on what our glorious future will be. So verse 9 tells us that that's how we stop ourselves getting weary of doing the good of sowing to the Spirit, by looking ahead. All those things that feel like a drop in the ocean, that make no difference, that seem completely unnoticed, really do make a difference in eternity. Sowing to the Spirit results in us growing spiritually and morally, closer in our relationship with God in the here and now until it becomes perfect in eternity. Sowing to the flesh results in moral decay and increasingly hard-heartedness, hard-heartedness towards God. Now, of course, God is all-powerful and all-sovereign and, and can bring anyone from, from the brink of being a seed dying in a field of flesh Anyone can be brought back by God. Um, he can soften the hardest heart. But none of that changes that the normal Christian experience of a spirit-filled life isn't passive. It's active. We join in with it, choosing day by day, decision by decision, who you will invest in. Your old sinful self or the spirit in you. And so we come to the end of this great letter where Paul signs off with certainty. Signing off with certainty is our last heading. Look at these last few verses. We could do a whole extra sermon on just these verses, but I'll summarize. So Paul takes over from his scribe and he picks up the pen himself and does a simple compare and contrast of those who have been leading the Galatians astray and the original gospel that he preached. So verse 12 and 13, um, the false teachers are motivated by wanting to impress themselves and others with their own performance. They want to cover up and silence our need for the cross. But we'll always have, even in churches sometimes, we'll always have people who want to pape over the cracks of our need for God to rescue us. People who want to silence the fact that our sin is so offensive, stinks so much, is so destructive, that the only way to us be, for us to be saved from it was God the Son suffering and dying on a Roman cross. We'll always have with us around people who want to boast about stuff that they do, that they reckon means they're all right, and don't dare anyone else judge them otherwise. 
But the truth is, there's only one thing any of us have worth boasting about. Verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. All alternative approaches to God, all schemes to make ourselves right with him through following enough rules, doing the right ceremonies or traditions, all of those have been nailed to the cross. Everything we ever have or ever will do wrong, that all those things that should by rights condemn us, that's all been nailed to the cross. So that by putting our faith in Jesus, transferring our trust to him to save us, we're made into a new creation by God's spirit himself. Made right with God, free, free as his adopted children, not as slaves. So our right perspective, our right point of view, is from the cross of Christ. There we see, on the cross we see, not to have any misplaced sense of pride in ourselves. On the cross we see what was needed to deal with how sinful we are. At the cross we see we need not fear God because he's so compassionate, so full of grace. Jesus gave himself up to do all that was needed to make us right with God. Taking the judgment we deserve so that we don't have to face it. As we look at the cross, we have the right view of what, what, the, what our world peddles as freedom. We have a right view of how evil it is. We have a right view of what sowing to the flesh leads to, to death. And on the cross, we see what truly walking by the Spirit looks like. Humble, self-sacrificial love. This is the cross of Christ that we boast in. And that's all that we're boasting. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you that you are in us by your spirit. And that you promised to keep growing us in that fruit of becoming more like Jesus. I pray you will give us that right perspective of each other, of ourselves, of gospel teachers, and of our present and our future, so that we're never tempted to turn to other Gospels, but keep um, resting in Jesus and seeking to glorify you by following him. Amen.